This is Pastor Mike from Jordan Lutheran Church, and you're about to hear one of our Sunday morning messages. At Jordan, we're passionate about learning from the Bible and pray that this message makes an impact in your life. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father and Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have, through the season of Easter, been in 1 John, a church that was in turmoil to persecution in the first century, a church that had questions, that didn't know what to do, that wondered where to turn. And into that environment, John continued to write to them to let them know that Christ would ever be present. You may recall some of the questions that we've looked at, some of the tension points as we look at a life in tension. He talked about what to do, what to do if someone tries to say that they've never turned from God. That was that opening chapter. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. One that we have spoken on many Sunday mornings as we come to confess our sins. We must remember who we are. John guided us to test all the spirits. You may recall some of those tests, moral tests. What is it that we see of people? Do they have fruit? Theological tests. Are they of God or are they something else? We look to the audience. If someone's speaking, who's listening to them? Uh, and what are the people that listen to end up doing? Different ways we can test the spirits. We heard last week, God makes us overcomers, that we actually have overcome the world because Christ himself has, and in Christ, we also overcome. But today, the tension's a little bit different. Today's tension looks at who's speaking. Specifically, is it the testimony of men, or is it the testimony of God? That's the tension that we find ourselves in this morning. So what does the testimony of men look like, the testimony of our, of our fellow men and women, of humanity, people around us, of neighbors? Sometimes people ask us questions, why do you attend church? We hear others suggest, why go there? Because it doesn't seem to really be fixing your problems. Truth is, since you've told me that you've gone to church, and now that I know you're a Christian, it seems like your life's pretty icky. So now that I know that you are a Christian, and you keep telling me that things aren't good in your life, why do you do it? What is happening? I thought that this Christian thing was going to make it all better, yet here you are telling me you've lost your job, can't make a payment, we're in an auto accident, your son is diagnosed with cancer, your mom has passed away, your brother doesn't talk to you, and the list could go on and on. Well, the testimony of men can be strong. Some of you are like, yeah, pastor, answer these questions for me. I, I was actually asked this by someone in the last couple of days. Well, let's look. First John 5. So if you have your Bible, open up. If you've got uh, a Bible app you're jumping into, please turn there as well. So we're all on the same page. First John 5, verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne according to his Son. Now, don't worry, we'll unpack a little bit more because that just sounds like one-upmanship, right? You got the testimony of men, God's is better. Well, when we get the full setting last week, and we'll dig into it, we got more of the what, what that testimony is last week, but the Scripture reading kind of left us hanging there from being overcomers to talking about testimony. Now, how many of you have ever been in an automotive accident? I'm sorry that I share that experience with you, but many of you have been in accidents. One of the most valuable things that can happen to you after that happens in the waning minutes, in, in addition to emergency responders taking care of you, is that really, really nice person who stops 
and waits for the police to come and will serve as your witness. And if you've ever been hit, you are so thankful for that person who sticks around and stopped in their life, though they did not have to, as I did last year. A person pulled over, and when I was struck, they said, oh, I'm just a witness. I'm waiting for the police, and I'll let them know everything that happened. And I said, thank you. A thousand times, thank you. Now, one witness is pretty good, right? And you're feeling pretty good about it. What if you had two? It's better. What if we had three? You see, the testimony of men versus the testimony of God is exactly what this passage is trying to get you to understand. You don't have one witness. You have three witnesses. And we're going to unpack what this actually means. You have a threefold witness to what God is doing concerning his son. And we left that last week in verse 8. The joy of having your Bible open is you can look right before that verse. And I want to share it with you now. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to display it, but if you've got your Bible or your app, you can read along. This is 1 John 5, verses 5 through 8. So we recall from last week what it is to be an overcomer, but then hear the testimony. And we're going to build more into what this testimony is. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree. Just so we're clear, this is a really important thing about witnesses. (laughs) You want them to agree. (laughs) You're like, yeah, actually, you didn't mention that, but now you think about it, I really want the witness that comes forward for me to actually have my position and to sit there. But witnesses will tell what they've seen, what they've heard, what they've known. But as we speak here of what it is to be in Christ, to understand who Jesus is, to know what reality his cross brings to us, John wants his hearer to know you have a threefold witness. Not a singular witness, not one person speaking before the court on your behalf, but three people who are very clear in what's happening. So we look again at verse 9. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is, and all God's people said, greater. Let's just try that on again, just so we're real clear. If you receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. We forget that because sometimes the people that get our ear during the week isn't always God. (laughs) It's people who poke us and prod us and push at us and say, your faith is weak, your faith is cheap. Where is your God? What will he do? Remember other cries that were made to a certain man? If you're the son of God, take yourself down from that cross. The testimony of men has its own place. But the testimony of God is, see, isn't that weird? Like, only if I really cue you guys up do you know. So, well, you know, the testimony of God, but the testimony of God is it's greater. Own that. I'm not trying to be childish with you. You have to own what that means so that when you are challenged, you realize I have a greater voice, a threefold witness. And we want to look to see what that witness looks like. Verse 10, as John continues forward, He wants to remind you that the witness you have isn't just a human being. It is a divine witness. 
See, it's one thing to have a human being speak to you. It's another to have God speak on your behalf. God himself is giving testimony. It's not just the testimony that's greater. It's God that's greater. You have the maker of heaven and earth speaking and advocating for you. But how often do we get worried yeah, but they're going to think less of me if they know I'm a Christian. They'll think that uh, I, I don't have reason. I don't have rationale. I don't have all the answers. I can't name all the Bible verses. Uh, they quoted a verse I didn't even know was in the Bible, and now it seems like I'm not a good Christian, and I don't know what to do, and I'm scared. God advocates for you. You have one who testifies in greater ways than any other can. Verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Some of you are like, what? What do you mean I have a testimony of myself? Yeah, this is what John wanted to remind you. When you live in the tension of how is it do I respond to these people, the testimony is already in you. John continues and says this, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, which sounds a lot like what? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Which anyone want to translate what it means when the truth's not in you? Yeah, turns out you're a liar. See, John's just reminding us, this is the joy of Scripture, he's reminding you of what he wanted to tell the hearer at the front of his letter. If you don't recognize what God has already done, if you don't realize how broken you are without him, you're just a liar. Now, a lot of us, when people start calling us liars, that's when we kind of, we hike up our our belts and we, well, you know, we may not be fighting people, at least verbally, we're going to put up our shackles and we're going to get ready to roll on somebody. Because we don't get called liars and normally sit down. You ever have someone call you a liar in your own family? Yeah, a couple of us have. It hurts. It's hard to forgive. And it cuts. But that is exactly what God says to you and I. He says, if you don't acknowledge who you are without me, you're a liar. If you don't realize that without me, You are a broken, decaying person. You're a liar. But with me, you are an overcomer. You have no one that can hold you back. So the purpose of this testimony is to get you to a place to realize God has you so you don't have to fear anymore a world who's always pressing against us. See, the second, I think, tension that comes up in this text is those who don't believe. And what I mean by that is those who don't believe that we'd say, well, they don't believe now, so just give them some time. You ever have that person in your life? Well, they don't believe, I'm just, you know, just give them a little bit more time. It'll, it'll be okay. Now, I do agree that God has told us he is patient. He did not return last night for one reason. Do you know why Jesus didn't return last night? And I only found this out this morning. Because there's someone else that he wanted to save. And why did I say I found that out this morning? Because I woke up. God tells me that in 2 Peter. He says, he's not slow. He's patient, waiting so that more might come to salvation. Every morning that I wake up, I find out God's got heart for more people. That's what he tells us in the Word. He says, if you've got another day, that means there's somebody else he's after, which is awesome. Some of you woke up this morning and thought, man, really? Why didn't you come last night? (laughs) Well, I got the answer for you. He didn't come last night because he's got someone else who he wants to see saved and come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, life, death, and resurrection. In verse 10, we get this real clear picture that if someone doesn't believe in God, they're a liar. 
And sometimes we, we get to this point of looking at someone who has unbelief and we just say that, wow, you know what, I, I kind of pity them, you know? I, I pity on them. It, it's more than that. Unbelief isn't something to pity. It should be deplored. Uh, because unbelief is, is death. It's not just, oh, I have pity on you. If you've ever seen a picture of someone dying, been at someone's deathbed and looked to it, you don't sit there and say, oh, I pity you. You look at death and say, I hate you, death. How dare you? Why are you stealing this loved one? I've watched people use some harsh words against death. They're very upset at it. Because death was never God's plan. We don't pity it. We deplore death. To which God spoke and said, death, you do not have the final word. So to the person in your life, the person that you know who says, well, I don't believe... This isn't a pity case. It's deplorable that they have that. And so we pray in mighty ways to a God who is maker of heaven and earth that he might step into their life and turn them in a way that you and I have already been turned. Not, well, they weren't born into the right family. Those are all cop-outs. You realize that those are Christian cop-outs. They weren't born in the right family, so they weren't exposed to it. They didn't get to hear it. God couldn't do this. So God can make heaven and earth, but you think he can't touch someone who is born in a country that isn't yours? Do you ever think about that? You think God made heaven and earth, that he saved us all, but somehow, well, you know, I'm worried about the people in Sri Lanka and Madagascar. And country. Well, if you live in Sri Lanka and Madagascar, you know who they're worried about? You. Because you live in a nation that is deplorable. You live in a nation that has so turned its back on God, it is sick. You live in a nation that watches disgusting programs and heralds and watch movies that are filth. They're worried about you. We are Congratulations, the third largest mission field in the world. (laughs) And we're worried about, will we get a few more people so we might expand a church in Apex? You have lost your minds if you realize or think that it's about building a church. It is about saving souls for Christ. And we're just along for the ride, because guess who does the soul saving? God does. (laughs) Which is awesome, because I kind of like being a follower. I do. You ever been in a line and the next thing you know, like everyone else is gone? And you're kind of going, you're like, yes, this is great, I'm following somebody. And everybody else trickles down and you're sitting there going, I have no idea where to go. You're only laughing at some of you are like, yes, I have been in that situation. Remember the first time you were handed a map? <laughs> Don't worry, I'm going to make it worse. And then someone handed you a compass. And they said to you, I need you to get from this point to that point. And you said, you mean these things really do something? As kids, they were just spinny dolls. They like spun around and we pretended we knew what to do. It's called orienteering because you have to orient yourself to something that is your true north. We have oriented ourselves to many things that are not north all the time. See, the greatest tension point is, are you looking at the testimony of men? Do they orient your true north, or does God orient your true north? See, John doesn't just want to leave it at this unknown testimony. He says, this is the testimony, that God gave us eternal life. A couple things that aren't said there. You didn't earn it by works. You didn't believe it hard enough. You weren't born into the right family to get it. God gave it to you. This is the testimony, writes John, that God gave his eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. 
Whoever does not have the Son does not have life. It is black and white. You are in or you are out. You know this or you do not. John continues in that final verse, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. You catch that? He's writing to Christians and he's telling them, I'm writing to let you know you have eternal life. Doesn't that seem a little bit odd? Like, we're supposed to get, like, encouraging words. These are, it's the early church. They're supposed to be ready to go. He writes, I'm writing to make sure you know you have eternal life. Because it turns out Christians in the first century also had doubt, also had questions, also wondered if God was really there for them. I write you these things that you might believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. And I guarantee you, John had told them that on many other occasions. But he reminds them again and again. Our Lord speaks to us and says, you have eternal life. That's the testimony. The testimony that tells us that the water that we find at the font, the blood of Christ and the Spirit himself all testify to let you know who you are in Christ. John's letter is written so that you can walk through life without uncertainty. I was hiking at one point. And I was with two guides, two gentlemen who had been set there in high school, and I had actually just, uh, I, I knew of them, but had, had paid them to help me go forward. I was going around a large lake uh, in the Andes Mountains. We were there for about seven days. Complete confidence in them. No doubt whatsoever. We're, oddly enough, crossing over glaciers and doing things that truthfully are kind of silly uh, without ropes, but that's a whole other thing I probably didn't tell my mom in great detail. <laughs> She'll listen to this online. I'll get a call. It's Mother's Day, and here's what I found out from you. Sorry, Mom. But as we were set there, there was a point in our day as we were hiking that we're walking and walking, and we stopped. And I said, Fede, I said, what? why are we stopped? Fede looks at me, and he goes, oh, we lost the trail a while ago. I said, really? Oh. I said, what do we do? He goes, we've got to go find the stones that mark the trail again. He goes, they're around here somewhere. <laughs> We're standing in a huge field of stone, in case any of you don't realize how this scenario plays out. I'm like, oh. So we were looking for a pile of stones about waist high that would be very clear and set. So for about 20 minutes, we had our own little wandering wilderness of the Israelite people as we're just kind of looking for stones. I share it with you because he would go no further until he found his orientation. He would not take me further, but we had gone in enough circles that that's when I asked, what are we doing? He goes, we're just finding the stones. We've got to find our orientation. And so it is for you and I when we feel lost. If you feel like you're going in circles and you wonder where you're going, may you recognize it as a point in your life to circle back the wagon and to realize, God, here it is that you have me. Many pools opened either last weekend or this weekend. Some of you are very excited about it. Some of you have already been in. You're like, yay, it's going to be 93 degrees today. Let's jump in the pool. There's a neat thing that the Coast Guard has taught us. If you've ever read a flotation device or seen those inflated beach balls and other pieces, because some of those inflated beach balls say what on them? Yeah, this is not a flotation device. It is a reminder to you as you might step in the pool this season, stop grabbing hold of things that aren't meant to save you. We put lots of things in the pool to save us that won't actually help us in a crisis. So in your life, what is it that you're putting that is not 
a life-saving device. It is anything that you put in your life that isn't Christ. Is it anything that pulls you away from Christ who says, I am the center? John wrote these closing words. This is how he closed his book. He wrote and said, little children, keep yourselves from idols, which is pool slang for only used approved life-saving devices. Stop grabbing onto other things. The church has grabbed lots of things over its millennia of existence. Sometimes it's grabbed onto Christ and the church has done great. Other times it's grabbed onto things that have nothing to do with Christ and figured this will help us. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. As we close, we hear these words. This is just prior to that closing phrase. We know. Isn't this neat? He includes everyone in this. We know. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding. Do you catch the power in this? Not only that Christ came, that Messiah came, that the promise was fulfilled, but you understand it so that we may know him who is true. And we who are in him, it is true. In his son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Brothers and sisters, you are in him. You have eternal life, and he is your life-saving flotation device. Grab a hold. Amen. We're glad you've connected with us online and look forward to the opportunity to see you in person. On behalf of everyone at Jordan, we hope you will join us as we gather in worship of our Savior, Jesus Christ, every Sunday morning at 930 at Beaver Creek Cinemas in the peak of good living, Apex, North Carolina.